Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this Conti Cup final preview. Obviously, just a few days away now from the first showpiece event of this season. Um, it doesn't seem like that long ago. We were discussing the FA Cup final, which obviously wasn't that long ago. But the season has rolled around again. It's now coming towards the business end of it, of which the first one of them is deciding where this piece of silverware goes. Uh, I'm Rob Prattley at RGP Journalism. I'm joined today by Kate. Kate, obviously, uh, I'm sure everyone knows yourself, but you want to just sort of say hello. Uh, yeah, hi. I'm uh, happy to be here, happy to be chatting and uh, looking forward to talking about uh, the upcoming upcoming match. Yeah, of course. And I think it's important to stress to people that the Conti, again, we've heard today, the Conti Cup final is now sold out um, at, you know, both ends and sort of fully. So, again, round of applause, pat on the back for all the fans going there. I know that there's been a lot said about attendances in the wins game in recent weeks, especially with the Arnold Clark Cup. Um, but I do think it's still, you know, clear to see that the top spectacles are still getting good audiences in. And I'm sure there'll be a great atmosphere. Again, Chelsea and City have developed something of a rivalry. Um, I would argue it's more of a, a more friendly rivalry than, say, Chelsea have with Arsenal or uh, United have with Manchester City. But there is definitely, I think, that rivalry down there and that sort of feeling of one-upmanship. And I think, you know, that's a... Nice place to sort of start it, that this is the final chance for City this season. So, actually, I shouldn't say that because we know in the FA Cup semi-finals it's already been drawn and we're playing one another. We already know that's happening. It's the next chance for City to sort of redeem themselves after three difficult um, fixtures against Chelsea in different ways. Obviously, just to sort of recap, you had the league um, sort of fixture, which was a... No, sorry, first I should start the FA Cup fixture from last year, which was a 3-0 win um, in which Chelsea were, I think it's fair to say, significantly superior in a lot of aspects. This was during sort of City's most difficult period. And again, Chelsea also played them at um, Etihad Campus in the league in a 4-0 victory, which, you know, to on paper sort of unprecedented. The first time I ever remember Chelsea actually winning at Etihad Campus, the first time we'd done it in the league. And then more recently, a 1-0 game in the league, which was a lot more sort of tight and tense. Guru right and got the um, sort of only goal in that. So, Kate, from your, from your perspective as a City fan, do you think that those three results help or hinder Manchester City in the preparation for this game? Um, yeah, I, I'd say help. I think it kind of gives them a little bit of that extra motivation to going forward to the next game to not get beaten again. Um, I think I think they're gonna they're gonna be tired of losing to Chelsea, so I'm hoping mm. they bring that kind of mentality into it. Um, and yeah, like as each game that's gone by, City's gotten better. Like not we're not where we want to be, and 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 we'd rather be like obviously drawing or winning. Like last year, there were some really cracking matches between Chelsea and City. Um, this mm. year, it's it's pretty much been one sided, uh, with all the injuries with our our third string keeper in two of those games. Um, but. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that that those results kind of just fuel fuel City uh, for the match coming up and, and being like we're drawing a little bit closer, we're getting a little bit better. So hopefully, like this one will be closer to what we saw last year and mm. and more like a back and forth and even even game rather than just like one team kind of dominating. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that generally when Chelsea play Manchester City, and the, the one that always springs to mind for me is the um, uh, Conti Cup. So, uh, semi uh, quarter final last year, the Chelsea one ended up winning it four two, but it was you know two wonder goals from Chelsea first from Dean Charles to sort of equalise, and then a terrific strike from Sophie Ingle to sort of um, put Chelsea into the lead, and then later on sort of go ahead and win it. But I, I think that was a game where throughout that entire sort of ninety minutes, you saw the best of you know the best of the game, and going back even further, the three three draw at Etihad Campus that yeah. sort of you know, it, it tends to be high-scoring affairs, and it, I, I've got to be honest, Ray, it was nice to win the games quite easily, but it's not as fun to win them easily, I think, and know that, you know, there's clear difficulties as to when it is to beat them at their best, and this is what I said about um, Arsenal in the FA Cup final earlier this year. It felt good to beat Arsenal in that FA Cup final and to win 3-0, but it would have felt even sweeter if they'd have had the full complement if they had Leah Williams and stuff there. And that's not me just saying, you know, I want to drag certain players. It's not me having the... If anything, I love Leah Williams. I've made it clear on previous broadcasts what a wonderful player and custodian of Arsenal Football Club I think she is. But it makes it that much better, I think, when you are beating the best 
and this is the same in the Champions League. I've said I've got no problem by Chelsea being beaten by a better side in the Champions League. And that's why I've got no problem with losing the final last year because Barcelona were clearly a better side. But I do think it's interesting that this time around for the Conti Cup, I think it sets up both sides quite interestingly going into the rest of the season. Because obviously City winning this, it can give you that little boost you need to finish in third and finish in the Champions League football places. Whereas for Chelsea, from their perspective, winning it is that little shot in the arm you need when they, they're going to end up with a load of games in hand over Arsenal. And while games in hand are nice, they are not guaranteed points. And I think that's what Emma Hayes will be, you know, will be stressing to her size. And I think Gareth Taylor will be stressing that as well, is how important it is to win this sort of game. Do, do you think this is sort of City's biggest game going into the rest of the season? Or Yeah, I do. I do, because I think we've lost out on so many trophies so far. So the fact that we got into a final, I think this one's really important to, to show how far, you know, we've come so far. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd put this more important than than fighting for that Champions League spot. Because um, okay. yeah, because because yeah, trophy a trophy is on the line, and and Taylor it just hasn't been good enough this season. Yeah, so I'm... so I, I'm taking. I just want a trophy. I just want. I just want to win. Like I'm getting a little like yeah, we're doing better. Yeah, we're doing this, but it's like we're still not beating these top teams, and that's. Mm. Like and City has the players to be able to compete at least with these teams, and it just hasn't been clicking. So I think it's kind of created this more of this hunger for this game coming up that I want the trophy than uh, worrying about finishing off the rest of the season because I think City are a good spot for that. But I, we've got a lot of the hard games out of the way. We got a lot of the Chelsea, Arsenal, United matches out of the way. So this one I think is going to be really telling of how we can yeah. finish the season off as well. So if we can get that trophy. Hopefully, it can get them like that shot in the arm to keep going and get that champions and fight for that Champions League spot. Yeah, and obviously, I think it would be fair to say is that the FA Cup draw earlier this week hasn't been. I'm not going to say it's been unkind to City because I still think it's a tie that you would expect to win, but it's not necessarily as easy. And I say easy, this is unfair on them, but it's not necessarily the sort of situation like Chelsea, obviously facing a Birmingham side that are you know scrapping for their lives at the bottom and it probably is you know more of a distraction than a help and for Coventry against Arsenal well it's just you know a great day out for Coventry and you know a fantastic sort of situation great to see a club you know that a couple of months ago was on the very very brink going to you know Meadow Park but you would expect Arsenal to sort of you know get the result in that game that you expect um obviously in in this case would you say that you would rather win the Conti Cup and then maybe, you know, the season you end up sort of fourth or fifth? Or would you rather sort of, because again, you sort of implied the need for the trophy. Do you, do you feel that winning the Conti Cup then sort of makes this Champions League sort of race a little bit less important? Or is it sort of, you know, do you have to balance them and it's the case that the expectation at City is so big? Yeah, it's it's weird for me because I've only really started like watching women's football since 2019. So this whole Champions League debate versus league and stuff like that, I'm still kind of like getting coming to terms with like the importance of it. Like I know some people weigh that more important than the new trophies or mm-hmm. what's going on here. So I'm kind of like torn because I like I do want them to get Champions League, but I also you know really want some kind of silverware to show that the season wasn't a complete wash. Yeah. Um, so. Like, yeah, I'm kind of torn. I, I I go back and forth between just wanting the trophy and forgetting about Champions League, but then, you know, still wanting to the team to, like, not just putter around for the rest of the season, right? I want them to push for that as well. So yeah. I, maybe I'm being greedy, but I kind of want both. <laughs> but, no, I, um, I, I don't think so. I, I've said all along that, you know, there are three... For me, there are three things that make an elite football club um, at any level. Number one is you've got the right infrastructure behind the scenes. Number two is you've got the right players on the pitch. And number three is you've got the right mentality that when you start winning, you don't stop winning. And you hear about the most successful like players, they get asked, you know, you've won X number of trophies, do you ever want to stop? And the one, the answer I always love hearing is, why would I want to stop? Because winning trophies, when you look back on your career at the end of it, because footballing careers are, you know, finite and they are fairly short in comparison to other, you know, professional careers... I understand being you know, a one-club player, and I think there is definitely big things to associate with that. 
Um, and you know, kudos to players that do do that. There are players that do that and still win trophies. So, you know, that's the absolute ultimate aim. But from my perspective, and again, maybe this is unfair, I think you would much rather look back on your career and have maybe moved a few times and won a significant amount and got things to show for it and set records, etc., than staying loyal. And that, that probably, again, that, that partly is, you know, me saying that I go against my own mentality in this because I do think loyalty is, is gra- rapidly falling out of football at all levels and should be, you know, encouraged. But at the same time, I can't begrudge someone in their career if they want to sort of, you know, step up. And I suppose there's got to be a bit of a sort of fear from City perspective and probably also from Chelsea perspective as well, that if, you know, the winning stops happening, there is a finite number of trophies in the women's game. There are a finite number of top teams and players tend to move between, you know, the different paradigms of, you know, top player to top team. It's very rare that you get someone at the peak of their powers dropping significantly down. It's very rare that you get a club where they are, you know, in the smaller bracket and they're able to keep a top player for a long period of time. Yeah. So for, for City, do you think that if you don't win this trophy, it then makes, you know, that even if you do qualify for the Champions League, it still makes it harder to attract players and sort of, you know, retain players in the summer? Because I think there's, you know, quite a lot of players that are either out of contract this summer or in the following summer. And obviously some of them, will be thinking about their futures. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. There's been a couple of players that have flat out said it. They're like, we're, I'm here to win trophies and stuff like that. So if we don't, if we don't get this or, it, and if we don't like at least get that Champions League spot, I can see a couple of players leaving. Like Vicky Lozada didn't come to Manchester City just to come in fourth or just to lose out on all these trophies after playing with Barca and winning yeah. pretty much everything, right? Like yeah. you come to City, you come to a team like that because you want to win. You don't, and yeah, like you said, the short careers, it's like you don't have a lot of time. You have to make the best of it. So I can, yeah, if we don't, if we don't start winning some stuff here, I can see some players that are out of contract, maybe looking to European teams or even going over back to the NWSL where they think they might have a shot. Mm. And I think, I think it's worth sort of noting that, that there are, uh, I think it's fair to say that there will be players that came to City this year as new signings and players that are there that will be, expecting better things because they are top players. I'm talking about, you know, people like Lucy Bronze, for example, who could walk into a lot of sides, you know, worldwide. Um, Vicky Lasada, as you sort of said, obviously has come from Barcelona. Um, Bunny Shaw, who, you know, was one of the sort of most wanted forwards in Europe. And again, despite, I'm a little bit surprised this, despite some City fans feeling like she's had a poor first, you know, year I think she's now got sort of 16 17 in all competitions which to me doesn't seem like bad numbers at all um and especially in you know limited minutes considering she's been rotated in and out and obviously those players are going to want to I think from my perspective as a Chelsea fan it's a bit more obviously with the um news of the club sale that sort of leaves it a little bit up in the air but I also have to sort of look at it from a sort of purely honest point of view is that Chelsea are going to finish either first or second this season possibly might, you know, have done a tr- have won three, the trophy three years in a row, could do a clean sweep of the domestic trophies again. And, OK, the Champions League is definitely going to have frustrated people this year, but I think it's going to have also shown the club what they need to compete on that next level. And I use the Barcelona example. Barcelona had to lose a final and then have a year where they didn't do as well in order to work out what they needed to do. And then the next year they came out and absolutely crushed it. And I think that that is the stage where... Chelsea is starting to come to where it wouldn't surprise me if there was a lot of players next year if it was their final year at Chelsea they put all the eggs into the Champions League basket and tried to win it and then after that you saw a lot of the bigger names so people like Penilla Harder again she's out of contract next summer um, Sam Kerr who I think would have one year or sort of half a year left on the deal etc um, especially a lot of the international players choose to go because then they've achieved everything that there is to achieve yeah. Um but I do think it certainly is interesting we'll sort of move back on to sort of City from a sort of perspective. Obviously, I have my own opinion on Gareth Taylor, um, and I said this a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, and uh, I'm no doubt I'm sure you probably heard it and cursed at the sort of thoughts. But I, I think, uh, again, I'll, I'll come out and say it. I do think that if City do end up third and do win one or two of the domestic trophies, then he's got to be in a shout of the Manager of the Season Award. Because... Oh, yeah. Okay. Because of the turnaround that has happened at City, and either you have to say 
that that's due to his management or due to the fact players have stopped downing tools. And that's a difficult conversation to have. And I've had this with a couple of City fans and a few of them have told me I don't know what I'm talking about. But I, I have to say that that's my, you know, fair point of view. For the record, I do still think that, you know, manager of the season should be Lydia Bedford if Leicester do stay up because, yes. again, they look dead yes. and buried and this, you know, culture, cultural change. I've spoken to people around Leicester and they've said, you know, we were planning to go back down or, you know, being prepared to go back down this year and staying up is sort of a boon to us. Um, and I think it's also worth noting that they may still finish as high as, you know, 10th or 9th, um, which is inconceivable when they were bottom of the league at Christmas. Um, but just in terms of that thoughts on Gareth Taylor, I'd be curious to hear your sort of view on it because I know you have um, strong views on the man. Yeah. No, I still, I still don't think, I still think he's tactically inept. I, I, I don't know. Like everyone's like, well, if you want him gone, like who are you going to replace him with? And that's the big, that's my biggest issue, right? It's like, I don't, I don't, I haven't been watching long enough to know who's like, who's who in like kind of the women's uh, manager game. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so I haven't really been keeping like track of like, you know, who might be available and stuff like that. But yeah, like I, I do understand he, he was working with a lot of players with injuries and you're seeing that in the last couple games, players coming back in. But I just, I just think sometimes his substitution choices aren't, aren't super well. And I don't know. There's just something about the guy that just kind of irks me. I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, it's just me. maybe it's just me, but like, he just seems a little bit arrogant and, and I don't know. I'm just not here for that kind of manager. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I just, I don't think he's been doing like, like the turnaround has been great, but I think it's more like the players coming back than like his actual managing a game. Yeah. Um, I don't think it helped that he didn't manage a women's team before this. Like yeah. that's a, that's also something that that really irks me is like these these guys like just assuming like they can make them the move over from the men's game and it won't be that that different or you know stuff like that. So like the I wasn't a huge fan of that, but uh, like I said, I've only been watching a couple of years, so I'm still trying to yeah. get the, all the ins and outs of like how promoting managers within clubs and all that stuff works. So. Sure. Yeah, you no, I, I definitely get that, and it, it, it's again, it's an odd situation for me because Chelsea women is the complete sort of opposite of Chelsea men. Where Chelsea men, it's sort of you know instability and chaos with managers. Um, yeah. You know, we um, more managers than hot dinners, but continually winning trophies. Where as on Chelsea women's side, it's taken time to sort of build up the club as it is. Again, I remember that you know the dark days back in sort of 2012 when the club was first sort of, you know, taken over and Chelsea were going away to places like London Bees, which are now what we know as Brentford and sort of losing in the Conti Cup and, you know, getting drubbed by Arsenal on a regular sort of basis. But the time was given to Emma Hayes and the resources were given to Emma Hayes. And I, I don't want to pretend that Chelsea, you know, sort of, that they are an incredibly privileged position where they had the ability to donate the resources to it. They did have, you know, the backing of ownership that were willing to do it and wanted to do it. And I think that's important to stress too as the city. But I do acknowledge that that's a, you know, position a lot of clubs weren't in. But I do think it's now ended up in a situation that when other clubs want to now come back to the party, and I'm talking for Manchester United's case, obviously Arsenal's sort of always been there or thereabouts in the women's game. I'm, you know, I can't pretend they haven't been. But in terms of City and Chelsea with their investment, now that you've got people like United and Liverpool wanting to come back into it and sort of go, they're realising that the investment plane is a complete different level to where they started. Um, this is where I think Emma Hayes benefits Chelsea is that Emma Hayes is at a point now where I think, you know, pretty much any player worldwide, you could ring them up and say, do you want to come play for Chelsea and play for Emma Hayes? And they would yeah. know who Emma Hayes is and they would, you know, seriously give consideration to it. Obviously, there's one or two of them that I think, you know, probably would say thanks, but no thanks. Most of them are currently at Barcelona. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, it's a point of that. And I do think from a City point of view, there is an that level of pull with Gareth Taylor. But yeah. I don't necessarily think that's his fault. I just think that's because, you know, Emma Hayes is sort of a, is, whether Arsenal has like it or not, is a footballing institution. Um, yeah. And that, that I think, is the issue a lot of clubs face when they go up against Chelsea and sort of, you know, transfer um, sort of dealings on the women's side is that opportunity and that ability. And also the fact that it is, you know, well-known and synonymous that Chelsea do win trophies. Um but I suppose, in terms of, is there anyone who you would replace Gareth Taylor with? Obviously, uh, like, ignoring obvious, like obviously ignoring people like Emma Hayes, who like you know isn't realistic. But the, the name I've always wondered, and actually, I want to ask you about is Bev Priestman. Do you think she would do well in WSL? 
I was just going to throw that name out there. I'm like, if she wasn't managing our national team, and she mm. could keep managing our national team for a long time. So <laughs> that's great. But yeah, if Bev wasn't managing Canada, that's exactly the position I would like her in. Like, yeah. I think she would, I think she would do really well at City. I think she'd get along with the players well. I think she'd, she just brings that cohesiveness to teams. Whereas like, like Ken, I don't think, and I don't think anyone pegged them for winning gold at the Olympics. Like, let's be honest. But Bev brought something that I don't think any of those other teams had, which was like this team, just this cohesiveness. Like, we're going to do this together. We're going to fight together. We're going to go out there and do our best. And, and that's what you need. Like a good manager can have like not the best players and do really well, but then mm-hmm. you can have a, a terrible manager who has the best players and like just completely like should be doing better. So I think, I think Bev would have fit in really well at city. And mm. I think it's a pity that England overlooked her because <sighs> of Phil Neville, but mm. it, their loss is our gain. And I mean, Wegman's or Wegman. We may not end up Serena Wegman. As I've said before, it's rare to now actually feel Chelsea, uh, England have got world-class players as well as a world-class manager. Um, which is a very rare situation indeed. But I think for me, the looking at it from outside of Gareth Taylor, and I've said this to a couple of people, I may be completely wrong here, but he doesn't look like the sort of guy... I can imagine Emma Hayes and Jonas Adeval to an extent, and I've said this before, and um, the manager at Bayern as well, the manager at Wolfsburg, being able to give out a real hair-dryer treatment if they need to. You know, if your team's 2-0 down at half-time, you've not been playing very well. Yeah, I don't get the sense that Gareth Taylor can do that in the yeah. women's game because I think either he goes too far the wrong way and completely demoralises players, or he doesn't go enough like far into it and players just ignore him. Um, yeah, I think it's more. I think it's more of like the players fueling each other up at halftime, like mm-hmm. someone going like one of the captains or like like I was talking on the pod the other day, like. Keith asked me, he's like, who do you think's giving that team talk that turned things around for United? I'm like, well, usually it's Steph, Steph Holland. Mm-hmm. Like, she's honestly, like, I think she's a fantastic captain and, like, her for her leadership like that. But if not her, I'm thinking, like, Lucy Bronze is getting in yeah. there and being like, this isn't good enough. Like, we have to step it up. So I think it's more, yeah, I think, I think it's more of the players kind of rallying around each other than necessarily. Do you... Do you feel that those senior players in that situation have too much power over the manager? Uh, well, I mean, you could you could see that a little bit maybe with, with what's going on with the White and Shaw debate. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think Bunny Shaw personally should be starting a little bit more than Ellen should. And that's yep. not, again, I keep having to like reiterate this. Ellen's not a bad player. She's a great player, but she's not on form. And yeah. I think Bunny's more on form right now. So, like, yeah, that might be have to do with their seniority in the team a little bit, being like, oh, she's so such a big name in this setup, right? Like, you're automatically just going to start her. And it's like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes you need to take a step back a little bit and, and kind of figure out who's the best person that's on form and go with that if you want to be, like, winning games. I think, yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting point. And again, I'd sort of want to going on and we'll start maybe on sort of the uh, weekend, how we think teams might set up. But I do think it is really interesting when you mention that players being selected on name and yet people like Lasada and Caroline Weir aren't starting sort of regularly. Do you think that's just more due to the fact that there's sort of the competition in there? Or do you think it's because in, in Lasada's case, I think, I think it's fair and fair to say that I know she's been injured, but I will say I don't think her performances have been of the standard of the player who we knew when she was at Arsenal and at Barcelona. And I don't necessarily think that's her fault, but I think it's a fact. And in Caroline Weir's case, it is bizarre because she seems to play very well and then only get benched. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's just, that's the thing. Like Lasada's a phenomenal player. She played really well in the Barca setup, but I think it's just taking her a lot longer to get into the mm. city setup, especially when our midfield keeps being rotated so frequently. Like, it's not giving anybody a chance to, like, build those connections, I don't think, unless you're, like, Walsh, Stanway, and Weir, right? Like, if you keep swapping out Lasada and then Engeldahl's still there, and it's just, like, just they're in sporadically and stuff like that, I don't think it's helping their game. Mm. Do you feel there's too many, sort of, almost a case of too many cooks and it's sort of swallowing the broth? Yeah, yeah, I think he signs a lot, like, too many midfielders. Like, I get his intentions, but I don't think either he's rotating them properly or he... He signed too many and he should have focused maybe more on like defenders because apparently all our defenders keep getting injured. Yeah. 
And, and on, on that note, I think that's a good point to start moving on to sort of um, uh, team news and sort of injury news that we know for the weekend. So to, to my knowledge, I know that Steph Orson is definitely out of the game and I've heard a suggestion that Demi Stokes is going to be unfit for it. Um, but I don't know if there's anything more concrete you can share on any injury. Yeah, no, I've heard about that. I heard Ruby Mace might have taken a knock, so that's why she hasn't been playing the last two games. So I don't know if Demi Stokes is out. Like, I don't, I don't know what else we're gonna like. I don't know who else we're gonna kind of throw back there because yeah. I the like I thought our defensive lineup like with Stokes, Greenwood, Kennedy, and Bronze was like that's kind of like what we're going with for most of the rest of the season. But if players keep taking up knocks, it's just like you start looking at who you can replace them with. And, and, and honestly, like we don't have enough. Mm. I don't think, I don't think we have enough. And then Taylor likes to make shift or back line. He's been doing it for most of the season. Um, so I think that's another kind of thing. It's like, he didn't sign enough defenders and he signs too many midfielders. Do, do you perhaps fear about Alana Kendi coming up against Chelsea again after she sort of, you know, was, given quite a torrid time against them um, in the league game, certainly, and, you know, has struggled up against players who have pace. Obviously, Chelsea's front line is likely to have at least one of Sam Kerr, Penilla Harder and Fran Kirby, if not all three of them sort of, you know, starting. All of them are quick, nippy players with the best will in the world. I think Alana Kennedy is a good player, but she's what I like to describe as a heady kick-it centre-back, where, you know, they do those bits very, very well. But when it's the more technical aspects, they struggle. And if you complement them with the right player alongside them, then, you know, you can alleviate those issues because that's not to say there isn't a place for players that are physically strong and imposing. Look at Millie Bright at the back for Chelsea. But I do feel that that's possibly one of the areas Chelsea could, you know, exploit at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. And no, so I think it's like, I at the first couple of games of the season, it was terrible. Like you're like, and that's like, I don't know if it's just like her coming in, but she'd also kind of like been making mistakes for Australia on their national team too. So mm-hmm. that was a signing that I was just like, I don't know why we did this, but she has been like playing better the last couple of games. So I'm wondering if like maybe a little bit of her confidence is coming back or Greenwood and bronze being there in the back are kind of like steadying her a little bit. Like yeah. I've I said, I've said, I think Roebuck at the back for the city being too. in goal is a big that thing too. because she's such a very vocal goalkeeper. And that, that yeah. is one thing I will say that I pin a lot of cities poor early season form on is that when you have a top goal, and this is where I think Chelsea do benefit by having, I'm not pretending Musovic is on the same level as Anne-Catherine Berger, but she's a good goalkeeper anyway. Berger is a world-class goalkeeper. And you see that level of confidence that you have in when you have preferred players. Rest of the sink in City's case, obviously, with um, Benamur sort of being in the net and continuously, you know, making mistakes. And I, n- I never like seeing players constantly, you know, being turned into the scapegoat, no. but we have to acknowledge that she did make a lot of mistakes and obviously lost her place eventually to young Kira Keating, who I thought Keating did well when she came in, but we have to acknowledge she is still, I think, 16, 17. She's not, you know, a senior voice at the back. Whereas Roebuck, I know she, I think she's still only 22, 23, but she's approaching 100 professional games. She's, you know, fully fledged sort of with the national side. She is very much the number one goalkeeper. And I think her being back, it's no surprise that there's more control and sort of consistency I still do think that Roebuck does have mistakes in her but I do think that about every single goalkeeper because I don't think any goalkeeper can be expected to be absolutely flawless but I will say with Roebuck in the net I feel defensive mistakes are less common yeah defensive mistakes are less common and if they do get that if they do get made she's more apt to clear the clean them up than Tayyip I think was like Tayyip did her best with what like you know, your third training, you're not playing a lot. And then also you're thrown into like a, a first, uh, like you're the first keeper and stuff like that. So I think she was kind of thrown into the deep end a little bit. But yeah, like there were mistakes that were that, you know, Roebuck wouldn't have made and a couple points here and there. And we're looking at a whole different table. So yeah. I don't think I don't think that really happened. So, yeah, having Ellie back is going to help a little bit, I think, with the back line, even if Kennedy is a little bit shaky, like that I have a lot more confidence that we have a keeper that can kind of boost her confidence a little bit more and clean up some defensive errors if, if, if need be. Um, mm. But, but yeah, like I don't want to, and I, I played keeper on like just for one game on my five aside team uh, a couple of weeks ago. And honestly, mm. like, it's awful. Like yeah. the whole time my heart was beating down to my chest and I'm like, this is like for fun. 
And there's a reason there's a phrase you have minutes. to be mad to be a goalkeeper. It's there's a reason like, that phrase exists. Every every nerve like was on end. Like you're just like just just anticipating, anticipating, anticipating. So like yeah, like I don't I don't whoever can go in net on professional leagues, like props to them because it it is a terrifying position to play. Mm. And I think it's also worth um noting sort of when we uh sort of move on from this point that it and this is more just a general point is that goalkeepers whatever you may think of them then you know they will feel as bad if not worse about a mistake than any fan they will feel a hundred times worse when they make one because when a defender makes a mistake you've got a goalkeeper behind you to back you up in case you do it who can save your skin when a midfielder does it you've got a defender and other midfielders. When a striker does it at the other end, well, you'll get other chances. But if a goalkeeper makes a mistake, it almost invariably leads to a goal. And that's the other thing I do, you know, I do remind people and say that they're the one people, the one position on the pitch where there's no cover, there's no security and nowhere to hide. Um, coming on to sort of Chelsea's team news for it. <laughs> Chelsea are um, frustratingly not the most clear when it comes to injuries, but I'm going to assume at this moment in time that um, the same players again. I did have a brief chat with Erin Cuff, but at the game last week, and she did say she was going to try and make the game, but it sounded more hope than expectation. Uh, Magda Eriksson, I believe, I believe she's intending to make the game, but again, it's sort of questionable. She's been out for a long period of time, and I doubt they'll want to risk her again. To be honest, when we come on to teams, there's a debate as to whether you whether she should come back in. In all honesty, um, I believe that Melanie Leopold is back in training after long COVID, but. I don't know if you know she's going to play. Uh, Beth England is certainly back fit again. So I think at the moment, if I was to guess, it'll probably be Melanie Leopold's out because I can't see her suddenly getting thrown back into it. I can't see any of either of the young kids, Amy Claypole or Emma Thompson, making the bench unless we've got you know injuries. And I don't think it's right to you know throw them into the floor of a cup final. Um, but other than that, I think Chelsea have a pretty sort of fit squad at this moment in time. Uh, new January signing also. Abdelina is um, fit as well after a slight knock. So I think before we uh, come on to the teams, it's worth obviously debating the uh, the Canadians on either side. Um, yes. I think we're pretty likely to... I'd say we're more likely to see one of them than the other one, though I think you would quite like to see them both. So I think yeah. let's start with Janine Becky and obviously her situation at Manchester City. Yeah, like I've, I've made no qualms about it. I've gone on rants for kind of the last couple of episodes. I think she's just kind of being wasted. And this is also another thing of him signing too many wingers. Like you had Janine and you go and sign Razzo and um, uh, crap. I can't remember her name. The the other black, the other young girl. Um, anyways, he, you, he signs like two of these new, new wingers and it's like you had Janine Becky there as well. So yeah. she's just been sitting on the bench for like the last three or four games, not even getting like, five ten minutes it's like I don't need her to be starting every game I get it there's competition that's that's yeah. good that's healthy but like to not start her like for all of February or to not even give her like 10 minutes like as a substitution it's just been poor um I'm especially good. and then and then she goes into the Arnold Clark cup and what does she mm-hmm. do other uh, two goals yeah. that we score she gets a goal and an assist and she scores a worldie against Earps. And yeah. he doesn't even like give her a run out. Like I don't. Yeah, to, to me it does seem bizarre that she, especially when you know, even last summer when she was playing very well through the Olympics and playing very well, she sort of seemed to come back and wasn't really in favour. Um, obviously, I'm sure you hate to see the idea of you know connexits um, from the English game, but do yeah. you think there will be NWSL sides looking at Becky's situation and um, sort of thinking? You know, this is the sort of player we can realistically bring back. You know, obviously, there's the marketing aspect. Oh, and she's a top player. Yeah. Yeah, I can see her, like, I can see her going back to the, well, I don't want to see her going back to the NWSL. And there's been issues in the past where, like, the NWSL has been terrible for trading players. Like, I think she found out she got traded, like, online, like, on Twitter or on, like, some kind of social media platform. Like, that's how some of these players find out that they've been traded to other teams. So I don't think the NWSL was, like, great to her. So um, I'm hoping, like, with these new expansion teams and these new rules coming into the NWSL, if she does go back, she's treated a little bit better. But, yeah, like, I can't see her sticking with City as long as Taylor's around, unfortunately, because it just doesn't seem like she's getting any minutes. And, and, then, and then maybe he will toss her out for the Chelsea game, 
and then she might not have a good game because she hasn't been playing consistently and then it's like even more an excuse to bench her so it's just it's just it's a frustrating circle right now but I think she deserves to be starting showing how well she and important she is to our national team like Mm -hmm. I think she's a player and that yeah she deserves a starting position if she's not going to getting it getting it at city I think she needs to move on and I don't think she said she wants to move to another WSL side yeah, no, I can understand that. And again, obviously, moving on to our Canadian, um, I think it's probably very fair to say that, like, this season we started to see the best of Jessie Fleming. Um, I think last year was very much a transitional year. I did remind a lot of people how young she was and how tumultuous it must have been to come across, you know, basically uproots completely away from her family, away from sort of her friends to come to a foreign country in the middle of a pandemic when she's pretty much unable to do anything and try and get into one of the most competitive midfields in the WSL that have also gone ahead and signed Bayern Munich's captain and spent, you know, um, world record sum on a world record footballer. And I think last year, you know, there was suggestions in the summer, would Fleming look to go? Would she maybe look to go elsewhere? She sort of, you know, has obviously toughed it out. And I think... She was probably the player that's benefited the most from the when the, the Chelsea moved to three four three at the beginning of the season. The uncertainty about positions because she had the options to play either in alongside sort of in the front three alongside the attack or in that deeper midfield axle. And I think in both of them you see a lot more of them. Obviously, it did help her a lot to get the monkey off the back of getting that first goal against Manchester United. She's talked, you know, how much she's seen about that. And obviously, since then we've seen, you know, some terrific performances from there she's contributed goals and assists and I, I wouldn't be surprised if she does end up starting um in the game at the weekend especially if her cup that's not fit over alongside Sophie Ingle probably in the midfield because she offers that dynamism but is in terms of Fleming's role for club versus country obviously I know she captained them at the Arnold Clark Cup um in the absence of obviously Sinclair but how like how much of a talent is Jesse Fleming sort of viewed as still or is she now viewed as that you know top player in Canada oh she's been viewed as a top player for us for years it's it's funny because seeing her come over to England and everyone's like wait who is this and then all the Canadians are like we have good football (laughs) players we do you just don't know about them because we're not European or we're not America so watching Jesse come over you're just like yeah the first year she kind of like sat on the bench a little bit and you're wondering but Emma Hayes has done phenomenally like Jesse was a good player already but I think she's just flourishing under Hayes's like manager management style. So it's been really as much as I hate it, like it's the best spot for her to be yeah. to benefit our country as well. Yeah. So I, it's like, dang it. But like, there's no, I don't think there's a manager in the WSL that I'd rather have her under mm-hmm. other than Emma Hayes. Um, so, so what I'm hearing is you'll forgive her when she scores the winner at the weekend. <laughs> no, I will not. But if it helps me, mean maybe Garrett Taylor's one step closer to leaving. <laughs> but uh, no. yeah, no, I have a soft spot. Yeah, like I just like seeing all our Canadians doing so well in this league. Like yeah. I got into it in 2019, 2020, because that's when they first made it available for us to watch mm. uh, internationally. So like, and then I was trying to figure out like what team to support and stuff like that and I saw City the first game I saw was the City United Derby like, yeah before I even knew what a Derby was and so I started and watching C- that. City won so naturally they were the choice oh Caroline Weir's goal just sold me on watching club football <laughs> like, it just it absolutely just sold me I'm like if this is like that's what's happening in this league like I'm I'm in I'm totally yeah. in so now that I'm seeing like more Canadians flood in like Deanne Rose and stuff like that and Leon's now back from injury for West Ham I just enjoy watching them play. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely like obviously city first, but like just just seeing like our players. No, no, I, I don't think that's a bad thing at, at all. Like I, I've said before that there are players who, for again from a rivalry point of view, I I don't want to see them do well. But from a Lioness's point of view, I want to see Leah Williamson have a great end of the season, preferably finishing behind Chelsea if she can, you know, be so hard. I want to see Lauren Hemp do really well apart from this weekend because I want the Lionesses to be in a situation this summer where with the home crowds behind them, because I know they will make an awful lot of racket, with the world-class players we've got and a world-class manager that will actually use players and pick them on form rather than on reputation and on what she wants to do, there's a genuine chance of winning something. And for me as a 
as an England men's fan, I'll admit last summer was hard because losing a final on penalties is never fun. No, no. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge, I feel like that was an overachievement. I think this summer, England are not favourites for the Euros by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think there's any reason they shouldn't go far with all of the factors they've got sort of in play and sort of falling for them. But enough on my uh, sort of, you know, on our various national loyalties. I think it's probably time to go on to predicting the 11s. So I'll let you sort of go first with the City 11 and any reasonings or controversial choices if you want to make them. Uh, well, I mean, it's going to be like my 11 versus what I think Taylor, Taylor might pull out. But yeah, like, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so if everyone's fit, it's the big thing. Because again, yeah, our club's yeah. not great at like, letting us know who's in or out right before until it's like the day of. It's like, oh, by the way, this player's out. So Ellie Roebuck is obviously going to start in net. Um, I would go Demi Stokes, uh, Alex Greenwood, Alana Kennedy, if Mace isn't even, even if Mace was like, Fit, I think I still might try Kennedy and then mm-hmm. Lucy Bronze and for the midfield I think I don't know that's like Angledall I don't think is going to start because she I don't know what he's doing with her I just <laughs> I don't know uh, it's just it confuses me you got a sim- silver medalist sitting on the bench so it's and it hasn't given her any time to like vet in. Believe me, I've had this conversation with Mia Erickson several times. I, <laughs> this is like, not one that I need to have again. Yeah, like her, her and Janine sitting on the bench, just like, hey, I got a gold medal. Hey, I got a silver medal. Yeah, mm. we're not getting any game time. Yeah. I don't understand this, but mm. yeah. So I think his his midfield might be, um, Weir, Walsh, and Stanway, mm-hmm. or or swap out. Weir with Lasada, maybe. Or are you looking at Lasada sort of sitting in front of the in front of the back four with the other two midfielders more sort of advanced, or are you thinking sort of Lasada and um, sort of Walsh sitting with Stanway in that sort of free central midfield role? Yeah, I just I don't know. I honestly, I that's the thing. It's like I don't know if I'd want Vicky starting or if I want Weir starting. Like I don't know what's the best tactic to go up against Chelsea with that, but. Yeah, like that's that's I I just I honestly like I'm still trying like like I said I I'm still relatively new to kind of like watching so I'm mm-hmm. tactic wise I'm not like too familiar with the concepts of who who's better at like defensive midfielders and like all that stuff yet so um yeah like my midfield's kind of like that could go anyway but I think for sure you're gonna get Walsh starting and Stanway starting yeah. Um, because they've been pretty good. They've been pretty consistent. Um, and then as for the forwards, I want to see Bunny. Uh, I'd love to see Janine, for sure. But I think it's going to be Bunny, Razzo, and Hemp. Like, Lauren Hemp's absolutely cemented. Like, she's not going yeah. anywhere. Like, she's an, she's a must. And I think Jess Park didn't have a great game against United last time. And again, she's so young. She's so... These, some of these, gr- these girls, like, they've got so much talent and they, they they just need to develop it a little bit more so i think like in a game against chelsea you're probably going to want someone who's a little more experienced like mm. Rasso or especially Bessie. especially in a cup final yeah 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 like and it's not like anything against jess it's just you know you go with somebody who's got that that experience and playing in these fine like these these big big important games so like yeah i'd go with either becky or Rasso on the right and then i would start bunny but i think i think he might just do like he could do Rasso, White, and Hemp, and I wouldn't be surprised. But mm-hmm. I think your I think your best option would probably be Bunny, Rasso, and Hemp. Up top. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I so I'd be inclined to agree. I, I think my only other wonder for the two wild cards, I think, is whether this is the game to throw Blackstad into. Now she's had a few weeks, and obviously, Blackstad, like there yeah, is yeah. tremendous, tremendous talent there in Yuli Blackstab and this might be the best way to, you know, get things out of her. The other one I also could possibly maybe see is Sanway being played on the right in order to try and neutralise Chelsea from a defensive point of view, because likely on the left-hand side, you will probably see Penilla Harder. Um, and obviously, City probably won't want to just give Penilla Harder a nice, you know, 30 yards around her where she can sort of play free range. Um, I mean, going from a Chelsea point of view... Again, goalkeeper's difficult because they've rotated throughout the competition, but I think Emma Hayes is like, 
She's not one for sentimentality. She's one for ruthlessness. So I think it will probably be Berger, although Musovic wouldn't completely shock me. For the back three, I think it'll. Be, I think Chelsea will play the three-four-three again, um, and I think it will be the same back three we've been currently playing: Carter, Brighton, Nowen. Even if Magda Eriksson's fit, I don't think they'll want to chuck her in against City from the start. I mean, I think if Chelsea were leading, you know, by say a two-goal margin or something into sort of the final fifteen minutes, I think you might see a cameo from Magda Eriksson, but I don't think. They'll want to chuck her in from the start. Right wing back's an interesting one, actually, because um, right wing back, normally you'd say Aaron Cuthbert, but obviously there's question marks over her fitness. Neem Charles played really, really well against Leicester uh, in that position. It wouldn't shock me if they went for her. But I'm also conscious that Chelsea might sort of um, play Neem effectively as sort of a defensive wing back because Lauren Hemp will obviously be constantly up against her. And that's also why I think Neem might get the nod is because Neem is that little bit quicker. Um, they sort of, you know, they do know each other well from outside the game and they'll no doubt relish the battle up against one another. Um, yeah. Although that said, it wouldn't, you know, be completely out of the question that Chelsea switched back to the back four for this game. We'll cover a back four in a second, the lineup with that. Um, then sort of left wing back, I think it will be Jon Anderson. She's been playing there recently. She's been playing quite well. Chelsea have preferred to use Guru right and further forward rather than using her as the wing back against better sides because you have that defensive solidity. And I think with City's, you know, wingers, you wouldn't really want to have Wrighton one-on-one against Lauren Hemp because there's only ever going to be one winner there. Yeah. The central midfield partnership, I think it's going to be, if Erin Cuthbert's fit, she might come in alongside Sophie Ingle. I think it'd be Ingle and then one other. Can't see it being Melanie Leopold because of obviously the fitness issues. Can't see it being Drew Spence. So I think it probably will be Jesse Fleming. Um, Fleming played that sort of role, sort of dropping in and augmenting the midfield really well in the FA Cup final and allowing sort of Kirby and uh, Kerr to sort of play as a front two effectively for a lot of the game. And I think that will be similar to what Chelsea will try and do. And then the front three, I think it will be uh, harder on the left, Sam Kerr through the middle and Kirby on the right. They could swap. Kirby and uh, harder around. I think it will be more situations that they won't be pure wingers, they will be floating sort of attackers and even then you might see Sam Kerr dropping out onto the right wing. She did do that quite a lot against Leicester in order to allow Harder to go through the middle Um, because Penilla Harder through the middle is, you know, basically a cheat code. Um, That's what I established. (laughs) If it was a back four, then I think you probably are more likely looking at Chelsea to go with Jess Carter at right back. Um, Bright and Nowen as the centre-backs and Anderson as the left-back. And then, assuming they want to go the 4-3-3, then, depending on Cuthbert's fitness, you have Ingles sitting and then you have Cuthbert and Fleming with a front three of Harder, um, sort of Kirby and probably Kerr. Although, I would be kind of tempted to go for Gura right and on the left and take Kirby out of the firing line in that equation. So you have someone who can come on completely into that sort of situation. Um, and also a real game changer. I think Gura right is a game changer, but I don't think she's quite on the same level as Fran Kirby in that regard. Um, or alternatively, if you're looking maybe at a more solid midfield, you go for Ingle and Spence with, say, Fleming in front in a more sort of free, creative role. Um, but again, knowing Emma Hayes, she will have at least one sort of tactical curveball on the on the day. I remember confidently predicting the lineup to the semi-final and getting, you know, about three of the 11 right. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, it is one of those things. But yeah, I think it's very hard to predict, you know, one-off games, especially when they're finals. I'm sure there will be an awful lot of, you know, tactical sort of impetus. But I think sort of trying to start wrapping things up, obviously, I think it's only fair we try and do a prediction. Um, so do you want to go first? Uh, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to, I feel like Chelsea will score. I feel like it might be like a 1-1 goes into like extra time kind of thing. Mm. And then hopefully City comes out with the win. But I think I think it's going to two one to City then. I think I'm going two one City, but I think it is going to be yeah. I think it's there's going to be goals on both sides, and I think it's going to be a lot closer than a couple of the other games have been this season. So mm. I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping I just hoping for a good game, and I'm hoping like yeah. I just I just hope City comes out firing instead of slow in the first half better in the second half because that's summed up their season so far Mm, I I will say I do think City need to score first in this game because I think if they allow Chelsea to take a 1-0 lead in a cup final Emma is the sort of manager that will not mind making it the worst game 
on earth as a spectacle. She won't mind it being bitty, disrupted. There will be tactical fouls. Sophie Ingle will commit, you know, a zillion fouls in 90 minutes <laughs> if it means that Chelsea's name are on the trophy in the end. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be, again, I, I think it will probably be sort of um, high scoring. I could see something like a 3-2. I think both sides will go hammer and tongs. For I do think there will be a winner in the 90. Um, I think I, I will probably go for 3-2 because I just think Chelsea's firepower at this moment and so many players that rouse themselves for the big occasion. I think that's where Chelsea have the slight advantage in that Kirby in finals always seems to turn up. Panilla Harder in finals always seems to turn up. Sam Kerr in finals always seems... And when you've got those players that can do those one moment you know, of magic, that's often the sort of thing that separates it. But I think it's worth... Um, Trying to sort of wrap things up uh, here. I will be at the game on um, sort of Saturday, so I will be doing a bit of live. I wish. I wish. <laughs> Honestly, if, if, if there's one, if there's one thing like I'm so jealous about is how easily accessible it is for you guys to watch women's football there. Yeah. Uh, the last game I went to was in October here in Ottawa, um, and since then it, we've got nothing. So the fact that you guys have this league and that you can go. Yeah, it, it is something I would say people do take for granted, I think, at times, is how much availability there is of it on. Um, for people that do want to watch it, I believe it is on BBC Two um, this week in, or this year in the UK. Uh, coverage, I think, starts at it's either 4.30 or 5 o'clock um, on BBC Two. I don't believe there's any uh, satellite broadcasting. I think it will also be live on the BBC website and via iPlayer. Uh, do you want to just let any Canadian fans know where they can find it? Yeah, so I believe don't I believe it should be on Sportsnet. If it's usually on BBC for you guys, it's usually on Sportsnet for us. And then mm-hmm. if not, FA Player maybe. But do, do you know what the time? Do you know what the kickoff time is for you locally? Uh, Twelve fifteen p.m. I think. So oh, that's all right. Sit and have it. Yeah, have it. Well, yeah watching lunch. It's about a and on Saturday, which is nice too. Like mm. like the Sunday games are great, but sometimes they're at like a lot of the times they're at seven seven thirty in the morning. Which yeah, isn't no, super it. ideal. The 11 o'clock fixture, I'm sure, is not very kind. No, no, no. So, but this one, this one's nice. It's like a, right on lunchtime on a Saturday. Um, just just so. put perfect timing. But yeah, yeah no, again, best of luck. Again, I'm sure we'll have another conversation when it comes to whatever the result is after. I'm always very, you know, magnanimous when it comes to sort of cup finals. I hope, you know, I hope it's a good game. I hope the best team on the day wins. I hope we're not talking about the officials. Um that's after the, the game, bit, because I, you know, I want it to be as I've said before. The game is, you know, football, not referee ball, and I don't want it to be a situation where I've got to go on and sort of say the officials affected the game. I watched the game last week at Leicester live um, for Chelsea, and I've got to say, you know, the decision to send off Selfie Howard was at best ridiculous, at worst incomprehensible. Um, even yeah. watching it live, and it did massively affect the game. And I yeah. really hope that we don't see something similar. There, but yeah, I think all that's left to say is, you know, good luck, may the best team sort of win, and yeah, I hope that, yeah, you know, I hope it's mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly, same for me. So someone's gonna have to lose. Yeah, <laughs> but, indeed. But, yeah. Marvelous. Okay, well, for everyone else that's usually following, you can continue following the pod. I believe there is now a competition to change the name of the podcast. Um, I don't think there's been any announcement on that at this moment in time, but I assume that that will be announced in the near future so watch this space